Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, we are back with another episode where I get to visit with accessibility professionals. And today I am pleased to be speaking with Natalie Patrice Tucker. Hello, Natalie, how are you today? I'm so great, thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you uh, here for this uh, podcast episode. It's great to uh, have you involved. Um, where are you talking to us from? I live in Atlanta, Georgia. All right. Well, I'm uh, across the country in my home office near Seattle, Washington. Oh, oh, that's so great. I love Seattle. It's so gorgeous, especially right uh, now. I've enjoyed my uh, visits to uh, the Atlanta area as well. <laughs> I'm new. Uh, I just moved here a few months ago. Well, uh, I was in the Bay. Oh, all right. So big, big change for you <laughs> as well. Well, a good place to start is always uh, what we're up to currently. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your current position and what uh, what that involves? Absolutely. So right now, I serve as senior accessibility lead at Spotify, and that means that I um, support digital accessibility across our platforms and products from the Spotify app that everybody knows and loves to Anchor and Soundtrap and all kinds of fun things. Well, I wanna hear more about the specifics of, of what you have going on at Spotify, but uh, you know, like usual with this uh, interview, what I like to do is uh, kind of go back in time and uh, find out the journey that brought everyone to what they're doing today. So, uh, you know, maybe you could, uh, uh, go back and uh, let me know we, you know yeah how how this has fit into your life and your work and we can kind of move back up to where we are today absolutely so um <laughs> i tend to tell folks i've been doing this since the beginning of the dawn of time um but what happened was that um i got my heart broken and um, this was in uh, two th the early, uh, like 1998, 1997. And I decided that I was going to, I was recuperating at home and in Lynchburg, Virginia, and decided that really what, what my life was for was I wanted to save the world. And so I um, just made a plan to move to, um, Washington DC to work in nonprofits um, because DC, the DC metro area is the nonprofit capital of the world. Um, and so I just, I didn't know exactly where I would land, but I figured I would, I would find a way to make a difference. Well, eventually I became a political organizer um, working to um, enact a living wage law in Montgomery County. And it was amazing. But it was also heartbreaking, backbreaking work. But the tiny little organization that I worked with, there were basically seven of us, and our this tiny little access dat database was like the heart 
of this organization, but it was a total mess. And really nobody had the chops to um, really use it to its best ability. And I was like, okay, well, this is how I can make a difference. So the um, long story short of it is that I just, I, I taught myself some SQL and revolutionized this database. And then I decided that I was gonna support nonprofits um, on technology. And along the way, um, some of the nonprofits that I was working for, I was working for um, smaller nonprofits that had constituencies in developing countries, like the Washington Office on Africa, or the 50 Years is Enough campaign, where we had people with slower internet connections or maybe older browsers and older devices. So we really have to be concerned about things like performance and accessibility and interoperability and all kinds of things that at the time, um, the internet was kind of the wild, wild west. Um, and there were just all kinds of things happening like flash and one by one pixel gifts. Um, it was horrifying. But <clears throat> so those tiny nonprofits asked me to build them websites and um, not knowing how I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. So I taught, taught myself to do that and got really, really excited about standards, about the standards. And at the time there was this, um, this new standard, the WCAG um, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 1.0. And um, and then there was also like this huge push around um, standards, um, using the standards to build the web um, and what that would make possible. Um, and I was just like, oh, this is this is where it's at. And eventually I, the, the federal government went looking for, for folks, this was in early 2000, went looking for folks who had a background um, in developing against uh, the WCAG guidelines. And so I went into the the federal government. I worked at like the IRS and um, H, uh, HHS and built um, uh, websites and, and newsletters for them. And and it was awesome, but I wasn't excited, really excited about working in the government. It, it didn't um, it didn't thrill me. <laughs> um, and I felt like I wasn't learning. And so I reached out to this wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Um, his name is Tom Babinski. He had a, a, a um, accessibility consultancy um, in Northern Virginia. He's a, a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, I, think, I think he's at IBM now. But I was just like, basically, I love what you're doing and I want to make sure that I can continue to, to do this work. I would love to work with you. And um, eventually I started work with him and then I uh, built my own consultancy. And about that time, um, the, the, the standards were in the process of being um, updated to WCAG 2.0 which was a sea change. Um, and um, a lot of, and the standards were, were harmonizing all over the world and, um, and eventually and slowly but surely, uh, the United States legal framework 
really started to um, enforce digital accessibility to such a way that where where it was really I was doing a sort of a niche kind of a thing, um, and really working hard to be able to do it right. Um, I um, got the opportunity to work with um, bigger and bigger organizations and and more and more engineering teams and um, and that's sort of the the long version of how I got. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you, you cover a lot of things there, but I, I mean, I like to go back and you know, check in with a couple of those places because we, you know, part of this is is helping people understand, you know, how they can get involved and understand the challenges. And, and so you mentioned, um, you know, first of all, you know, getting involved in, in doing that initial work on your own in, in those early uh you know, web development times after WCAG came out. And that's also after uh, uh, Section 508, uh, yeah. you know, it, it had uh, just come out a few years before that. But uh, so like at, at that time, uh, I imagine, uh, you know, you had to pretty much scramble to find the resources and to educate yourself in, in, the, in uh, accessible web development. Absolutely. But um, you know, then as now, the internet is just an incredible, incredible resource. And so um, part of how I, you know, sort of got my FIBA and learned was like actually reading every word of the standards and, you know, looking up, up the people <laughs> who were, um, you know, sort of who were authors of the standards and kind of sort of low-key stalking them a little bit. And, and then um, somewhere along there, LinkedIn came along and I started to reach out to folks. But even before that, um, like getting a mentor, having Tom Babinski um, and the mentors I've had all along the way to be able to like, because I didn't, you know, like I am not a native um, screen reader user and I found it deeply, deeply perplexing. And while I was incredibly excited about the technical pieces, I was just like really befundled about how screen readers worked and what what was expected behavior. And in the early days, I was doing a lot of a lot of testing and a lot of um, sort of really deep hands on work, um, like trying to build um, like delightful experiences. So <clears throat> it was always a kind of a, a sticking point to me that I didn't I wasn't a native assistive technology user. Um, and I wanted to get a little bit better with that. And that's why I reached out to Tom. He's a blind man uh, technologist. And um, he really just was, you know, really encouraging. Um, and so I, I think all along, and, and then, you know, sort of following the folks that I did, um, their work, I, I had the, like, opportunity to <clears throat> connect with um, Jim Thrasher, who's since passed, this was a long time ago, just just enough to say, hi, your work has really made a difference for me, and thank you so much, and um, he was incredibly, incredibly gracious, and it was things like that along the way where I was like, am I doing this, you know, like, what am I doing, am I doing this, um, right, that really made a difference. Well, yeah, I'm glad you bring up uh, the uh, mentorship aspect because that you know that is so uh, critical to us uh, 
finding our way in this area where uh, for the most part, you can't find it in formal education. We have to uh, find it through our collegial uh, 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 friendships and, and uh, colleagues at work. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you, you know, you became involved with uh, government agencies. Uh, you know, what were some of the challenges that you experienced there? You mentioned, uh, and you need to, to, you want to move away from that, but uh, were there any certain things that, uh, you know, were particular blockers for you in, in what you wanted to do? I think um, it, it was really the pace um, of, of the way things, um, decisions were made and new technologies were adopted or considered. Um, you know, like you can see that even in the in the ten years it took for the Access Board to adopt WCAG 2.0 um, after it was initially released. You know, um, as a standard. So, uh, or just sort of harmonize on that as a digital accessibility standard. So. Uh, I just found it personally very frustrating. I wanted to be, there was, uh, uh, we weren't allowed to use certain browsers and, um, or, you know, we weren't allowed to, to sort of download. NVDA was just, just um, was just sort of getting started. And I was really, I wanted to, I wanted to use that because it was a more accessible solution and all kinds of things. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, and a financially accessible solution. And, um, yeah, I just I think also mm -hmm. a little of the hierarchy. I was like, I was, I was, I was, I really got gung ho, right? I was, I was really on this mission to create a web that worked for everyone, and I thought it could happen, that that was the way that it could happen, but. So the sort of pace and hierarchy of it made me go, maybe maybe there's another way, you know? Well, uh, going on to be uh, an accessibility consultant and, and more or less working for yourself, that's definitely the other side of the spectrum where suddenly you're, you're able to get involved with a lot of projects that are very interesting to you, but, uh, but also a lot of organizations uh, you know, even today still aren't ready to invest in accessibility. And so that can be a challenge. But how was it uh, as you started doing uh, consulting work? Well, so initially, a lot of my consulting work came from sort of um, like I was a, a subcontractor, right? Like someone would would have a have a contract with the government or have a contract that required accessibility and then hire me to work with them or the engineering teams that were building um, whatever it was. And um, and so it was hard because, um, you know, like I wanted a career in accessibility, but they were just, they were gigs, if you will. So it was sort of a hodgepodge of piecing together gigs while also trying to make sure that I stayed on top of what was happening. Um, so, you know, like all of my training and development budget was 100% on me. All of my tra travel and education conference budget was 100% on me for quite some time. And that made it really difficult. Um, in the early days, it was like a dream to be able to go to CSUN, um, which is the um, 
accessibility conference that happens in San Diego once a year. It's been going, it's the oldest sort of um, conference of its kind. And I, I mean, I would sort of read the talkbacks and watch the proceedings that I could um, from afar and really wanted to go, but it was just financially inaccessible to me for a long time. Um, and, 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 and going was really actually a big catalyst, right? It allowed me to see, oh, I can do this. And I, and I am doing this. And I have been doing this. And oh my gosh, you know, like lots of people want to know what I already know, you know? Um, and so I, you know, like I'm always looking for ways to make, make, make that opportunities to have like networking and um, have folks learn from each other more and more available. Yeah, well, bringing up the uh, conferences, that's another excellent way to get involved. You mentioned that the cost of it, which which is difficult, you know, as it, you know, for people that are maybe just getting involved in, in the practice and aren't supported uh, by and their. That was the case that, years yeah. ago, but nowadays, yeah. with especially with COVID, thank God, in a way, for this global pandemic, making digital accessibility more yeah. um, more accessible, right? Um, so we have virtual conferences recently that have just been top notch and top tier um like for example the work um with from accessibility from the accessibility toronto conference and just like you know the, the there's so many more options mm -hmm. to uh for like meetups and small conferences or regional conferences than there were um back even when i started Sure, and, and we're able to bring in people that maybe weren't able to uh, right. get to Anaheim or San Diego for travel purposes, and and it, you know as we move forward, I imagine we're still gonna have Zoom as uh, or whatever uh, media as a major component of our our events from now on. Hopefully, and uh, yes, yeah, so you know you were talking about your work, uh, you know, with accessibility consulting, and and then. Um, kind of, you know, where did you go from there? How'd you get to, you know, kind of where your position now? That's a great question. Let me think about this a bit because um, it, there was some time that, you know, it looked crazy. Like it looked like a bad, like it might not be the smartest idea for me to um, be pursuing this career because there was a lot of uncertainty um, and, uh, you know, uh, if folks would hire me, I would do what I, what I'd come to do and say, oh, and now we can, we can move on to usability and we can actually, you know, do automated testing and let's do all the things. And they would be like, no, we're done with that. I'd be like, well, I'm still an accessibility person, so I'm going to keep doing this, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so would have to sort of find my way to the next opportunity to make a difference. Um, and um that was that was that was a big chunk of the beginning and then when when the WCAG 2.0 guidelines came out and the ada was you know being fully enforced and um you know like just a, a number of changes culturally just brought digital accessibility to the forefront where i would you know because i had at that point been doing this work for about 10 years, it was, it was a lot easier. It, or it became, I sort of had a, my pick of the litter in a particular kind of way. There are more opportunities to 
do exciting things than there were there was of me and and that's also says a lot to our community too because um in the beginning <laughs> i i had a joke with a front, you know a colleague that in the beginning we could all count each other <laughs> to, like we could all sort of like like you know like we're the spartans or something you know the early 500 people mm-hmm. i don't know there were probably more of us but it just felt very um you know like i was surprised when i met the the first other person of color who is um, doing this work, who is a technical person doing this work, and um, for example, or um, yeah, it was just so it, it's it, there are more roles available, there are more opportunities to um, begin um, inside of this work than there were, which is very exciting. Well, uh, what, what's uh, a day in the life or a week in the life for you uh, now as uh, as an accessibility professional at Spotify? Oh yeah, so um, I lead our I lead our efforts to um, ensure that we're building delightful products um, across our offerings, and uh, I have a lot of meetings. I have a lot of meetings. I meet with individual in engineers on questions they may have. I meet with members of my team around how the program is doing. So Spotify had um, had accessibility. Um, I've been doing a lot of accessibility work before I came on in April, but decided that they really want to dedicate the time and resources to ensure that it's taken care of um, throughout the enterprise, and so, which is why you know, they asked, I, I came on board and, um, and so we've been sort of, I've been doing a lot of foundational work, making sure that we have, um, the right people on my team or making sure that we're connected to the right, um, uh, partners in, in the different business units, um, looking at, at the landscape and, um, negotiating with vendors for support that sort of thing. So I have a lot of meetings, <laughs> a lot, um, a lot of meetings. Yeah. Sounds like you're really busy. Are there any projects that you're particularly passionate about right now or looking into the, the future? Are there any places that you think uh, you want to get to? Um, you know, we are doing such exciting work and I, I'm really, really thrilled about where things are going. For the entire ecosystem of our products, not just um, in terms of accessibility, but usability in general, um, I'm hoping that we'll have some pretty exciting um, things to to share out around uh, December 3rd, which is um, International per- Day of Persons with Disabilities. And um, other than that, I will okay. keep it mild. <laughs> All right, well, that's fine. But uh, yeah, I imagine it. I imagine it, you must feel a certain amount of weight and responsibility being involved with a product and a company um, that's so widely used throughout the world and, and sort of a, a mainstream consumer product that uh, almost everybody is familiar with, even if they they, they don't work with it. Uh, so, so does that put a little extra stress on you or, or, or did I just by mentioning it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I I myself am a Spotify user and have been 
since the very, very beginning. And so I, I understand the, the vehement love for the product and what's possible. And so when people come up to me with, with praise and with criticism, I'm so excited to hear it. And I'm so um, thrilled to be a part of making this thing great that has been so great for me. Well, uh, Natalie, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, your uh, journey to get where you are today. And uh, hopefully I'll uh, maybe see you at a CSUN event in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.